Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Welcome to Liquid Church. We are on part two of the spring series, Red Rooster. I'm Pastor Tom, and if uh, you were here with us last week, then you already know that this is actually a series about leadership, and we've been sort of profiling the uh, character, the Apostle Peter, who uh, actually was one of the biggest failures in all of Scripture, yet at the same time, ironically, he was also someone who led the church boldly. In fact, he promised Jesus this, even if all fall away on on account of you, I never will. And you see, we're choosing the, the whole rooster symbol because we saw how one of Peter's greatest failures, his epic failures of all time, was denying Christ. How many times? Three. Three times he said, I don't, I don't know the man. I, I, I don't know this Jesus guy. I swear to you, I don't know Jesus. And Peter wept bitterly. So guys, what do you do when you fail God miserably? See, that's the question that we're asking ourselves today. Uh, And I actually heard from so many of you this past week. This is something that really resonated in your hearts, uh, in, in many of us, as we're dealing with all sorts of different types of failures. Uh, there are failures in relationships. I had a man come up to me after one of the three services last Sunday, and he said to me, Pastor Tom, please pray for me. My marriage is absolutely crumbling. We're not, we're not even yelling at each other anymore. We're like past that. We're not throwing things anymore. Instead, there's like this constant, dead, awkward silence. Relationship failure. There's also moral or, or purity failure, so to speak. Failed purity, right? I had this one gal come up to me and she said how she made a promise to God. No more hooking up. Every time she hooked up with someone, she always felt bad, always felt miserable, always felt guilty, always felt so dirty. I'm not going to do it anymore. I promise. I swear to you, God. I swear. Ex-boyfriend shows up in town next weekend and it just all goes out the window. and She's just feeling more miserable. See, guys, these are situations that God actually loves to restore. He loves to redeem these situations. And so what we're doing throughout this entire series is we're learning how failure can actually drive us deeper into Christ. In a word, you might call it failing forward. We're learning how to fail forward. And so today, I actually want to take a great A great passage. I want us to look at John chapter 18. Would you turn with me to John chapter 18? It's found on page 752 in your scriptures. And this is actually one of my favorite passages about Peter. Because I know we talked about this last week. I got to say it again. Peter 
is a fun guy. I mean, he's just, he's just really funny in, in, in so many ways. For a guy who doesn't have a lot up here, <laughs> Peter's got a short, he's, he's got so much right in here, okay? And we all know people who are like this, right? But for Peter, you got to understand, it wasn't just all hot air, okay? I mean, when it came time for it, Peter, for better or for worse, was actually ready to go into action. He wasn't just all talk and no walk. In fact, if you look with me at John 18, I want to set the setting here. They're, the disciples and Jesus, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay, where, where Christ was arrested right before he gets uh, crucified. And if you remember, look with me at verse 2 here, uh, where on chapter 18. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. I want to pause there for a moment and say this. You have to understand that the Garden of Gethsemane was like a local hangout. It was like a Starbucks, only without the lattes, okay? As a matter of fact, (laughs) this was literally an olive garden. Not the kind on Route 10, okay? There are no salads or breadsticks here, okay? So just stay with me, stay with me, people. Verse 3. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying three things. Can we say these three things together? Can we read these three things together? They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Weapons. What a welcome wagon, right? I mean, just think about this, right? See, throughout the Gospels, Jesus has been doing nothing but good stuff. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been healing people. He's been teaching truth, ushering in the kingdom of God. He's been changing lives. I mean, truly changing lives. And so the religious leaders of the day, they start getting a little antsy. They're they're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? This guy's on our turf. We got to take this Jesus guy down. And you know what? Here's their moment. Here's where they come in the dark of night with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Here it is. This is their moment. Verse 4, look with me here. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now, instead of saying, I don't know the man, like Peter does, right? Instead of Jesus saying, oh, you're, you're looking for Jesus? Oh, I have no idea. I think I saw him in the far side of the Olive Garden, way back over there. Run for it, guys. Instead of doing anything like that, what does Jesus do? No, no, no. He says just three simple words. What were they? I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, watch this now, they drew back. And what happened? Let's say it together. Let's read this together. They fell to the ground. Now, guys, why did they fall to the ground? I mean, it's not like Jesus has this reputation of being a violent man, okay? He's completely unarmed. In fact, his schleps, his, his, his disciples, these pathetic disciples, if you read earlier, they're actually asleep during this time, okay? It's Jesus' most crucial hour, and his best buddies, they've all fallen asleep. I mean, his whole entourage, his whole posse, good for nothing, right? Not to mention the fact that it's these religious leaders, who came in the thick of night with weapons and torches and lanterns, okay? Yet when Jesus simply says, I am he, now, why would that happen? What's what's going on here? Why why when he says that, do do they respond that way? Well, 
if you know the power of those words, I am, if you know that, that the, the power and the strength behind that, you know that he's proclaiming the very name of God, the presence of Christ. He's saying that I am God. I, you cannot miss this, folks. See, Jesus isn't saying, oh, you're looking for Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, here, here, right here. No, no, he's not saying that. He, he, he's saying I am, which is the ultimate name for God, known by generation after generation. In fact, if you were to look back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, it says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. You see what's going on here, right? Do you understand what's happening here? The the soldiers have actually come to arrest Jesus for what? For blasphemy. Jesus has been going around and people are thinking that he's God. And so these religious rulers, no, they're not having any of that. They're going to arrest this man who thinks he's God. That's blasphemy. But you know something? Jesus doesn't back down. He says, I am. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth? I am. I am. That's right. That's right. I am. I am. I am am God. Jesus remains uncompromising to the declaration of who he is and what he is about. Jesus is Lord. And they fell back to the ground. You know something? They're all trembling there on the ground. Jesus has just declared, I am. And I just sort of imagine Jesus at the next verse sort of looking down at them. Now, who is it that you said you wanted? (laughs) I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. They wanted Jesus of Nazareth. Again, our leader, you got to love him here. He is so bold. He is so forthright. You just got to love him. He is a true hero. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost even one of those you gave me. See, even right up to the very end, Jesus is never concerned. Uh, he's, never, he, he's never concerned with self-preservation. He, he is not about saving himself or serving himself. Instead, he is always about saving and serving others, beginning first with his disciples, beginning first with the apostles, and then descending all the way down to me and you. Jesus is a true, he is a true leader. And you know something? The timing here is impeccable. It's amazing, because right about now, okay, is when Peter must have finally woken up from his nap. Huh? Huh? What? What's happening? What? What are they doing? They're going to arrest Jesus? What's happening? And you know something? I just love the way Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, how it illustrates this particular scene. Because it shows us that what Peter does next (laughs) is actually so stinking human. (laughs) It's It's so me. It's so you. In fact, check this out.
life don't exactly go the way you've planned. John 18 verse 10 says this, then Peter Simon, Simon Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and what did he do? He struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Again, guys, let's be honest, you sort of kind of like this, right? (laughs) I mean, you got to like this about Peter. There's an aspect. I mean, he promised he promised Jesus. He said, you know what? I will never leave you. I will, all these other guys, they may leave you, but not me. I'll take the sword for you. I'll die with you. And so you know what? In some ways, this is, this is very much his heroic moment here. I mean, haven't we all been there? Haven't we all been in this kind of situation? I mean, can anyone, can anyone actually relate to this? A moment where you felt convinced that you were doing the right thing, the absolute right thing, even the righteous thing, yet... Somehow, it was all wrong. It all backfired. Does anyone here know what I'm saying? Can, can, can anyone here relate? No, no. I, okay, okay. I guess it's just me, right? Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to put away my sword right now. I want to share with you. I want to share with you one of, my, one of my greatest failures in life. This was my key leadership moment, okay? Uh, I, I was a first-year seminary student. I was about... 22 years old, 22, 21 years old, and uh, I had been invited to be this guest speaker at this large youth group retreat. It was about 300 or so high school, junior high students, okay? And uh, I come back, I'm a first-year seminary student, and my sister at the time was 16, 17 years old. She's a high school senior herself. So we're driving up together, and I hadn't seen my sister in a while, and um, you know, I'm trying to, trying to see what's going on, just trying to talk to her and stuff like that, and uh, she's not having any of it. She's just not talking to me at all. It's kind of weird. I, I don't know really what's going on. Maybe she's having a bad day or something like that, and she just, she just doesn't want to talk, and I'm just kind of poking a little bit, and she still doesn't want to talk, and, she, and then she starts, before I know it, 30, 40, 50 minutes goes by, we're driving up to upstate New York, and, and she's just kind of looking out the window, and she just starts crying. I have no idea what's going on, none. And uh, she starts telling me, you know, oh, can, you just, can you just turn around? I just, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I was like, I haven't even preached yet. What's going on? But no, nothing to do with that, right? She's just like, I just, I want, I want to go. I want to go. And um, I, I'm, I'm like prying. I'm like trying to get like what is happening here. And um, finally, like 30 minutes later, she just, she just slowly starts opening up a little bit. This is my kid sister slowly starts opening up about how she's been dating this guy now for a couple of months. And um, uh, the week before, 
they went on some sort of date or whatever, and um, he started pushing things a little too far, a little more f- far than she was comfortable with. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, he's just, he just kind of forced himself on her. This is my kid's sister. And um, started sharing this story with me, and I mean, I'm just, I'm like driving, I got my hands on the steering wheel, and I'm just, the rage is, is like, is just starting to bubble up, it's starting to surge. I mean, guys, guys, any guys in here with younger sisters, you know what I'm talking about? This is your kid's sister in the car, she's crying, don't want to go on this retreat because this other guy, this other kid is actually going to be there. And so I, I'm like counting down the miles, I'm counting down the minutes, and I'm breaking the speed limit, all that stuff. And we get to the retreat place, and, you know, there's like 300 kids, there's like 50 volunteers, whatever, whatever. We get into the place, and, and like, there's a crowd of people just like right now, and I got my Terminator glasses on. I'm like, where's this guy? I locked down on him. I saw him. I saw him over there, and I just made this beeline right for him. And I grabbed him by his shirt, and I pulled him out to this back hall. And people are like, what? People, they weren't clapping for me. People are like, what are you doing? What's, what's going on, Pastor Tom? What's, what's happening? Did you just see that? What, where, where'd they go? Where'd they go? And I brought them to the back hall. I'm like, what did you do? What did you do to my little sister? Is this true? You know what he said to me? He just smirks. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you were like supposed to be the pastor. And guys, honestly, I don't remember the next three seconds of my life. All I know is that my fist hit his face so fast, he blew back into the wall. And before I knew it, there were six guys on top of me trying to rip me off of this kid. Now, mind you, I'm the guest speaker. I am the pastor. This is my first gig. I'm giving a message on loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, it was just amazing, right? Just, and, and all of a sudden, complete chaos and all this stuff. And, and everyone's like, people are like crying. They're like girls crying. Like, what's happening? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, Pastor Tom, what's happening? And I remember about 10 minutes later, I think I, like, I found like this empty like bathroom stall. And I'm just, I'm just sitting there, and I'm just weeping bitterly, just like Peter from last week. Folks, what do you do? What do you do when you're so convinced that what you're doing is righteous in the name of God? And you actually feel justified in whatever it is that you're doing. You're like, no, 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 wait. This cannot be possible. What's happening right now cannot be the will of a good and loving God. It cannot be the will of a perfect father. What's happening right now, this injustice, 
The fact that no one's doing anything. The fact that this was allowed to happen. This can't be God's will. I mean, that's certainly what I felt like when all this stuff was happening to my sister. And you know something? That's exactly what Peter clearly thought as well. Peter must have been like, this can't be God's will that Jesus Christ would get abused and arrested and eventually die. Yet that's exactly what the Father's will was for his son to get abused, to get arrested, to die on the cross as a ransom for our sins. See, guys, we do not like to think in the ways of the Spirit. That's not what we like to do. When things don't go the right way, we like to have the power of the sword. That's what we want to do. That's what makes us feel good. That's what makes us feel right. And, and so when things don't exactly go the way we plan, or, or when it seems like God isn't in control the way that you like, you just whip this thing out. We get ready to chop off someone's head. Yet there's always a choice. Did you know that? Did you know that there's always a choice? We can either do things by the power of the Spirit in His timing and His way, or we can do things by the power of the sword. That is our flesh, actually. Might makes right. And and that's really what the sword is all about, isn't it? I mean, what is the sword a symbol of? The sword is a symbol of justice. Later on in Romans chapter 13, it actually says, God God has given the government the authority to wield the sword, to wield justice. See, the sword is a symbol of justice. The problem is we like to take the sword into our own hands and decide, you know what? I'm actually going to take God's place here. I don't see him moving, so I'm going to wield justice right now. I'm going to be judge, jury, and executioner. That's me right now. Give me that sword. But now notice, how does the passage end here? What does Jesus actually say to Peter who took up the sword? He says this, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? As a matter of fact, you need to know this. The Apostle Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke was actually a doctor, so I think he had keen eyes. I think he observed things that other disciples didn't. And he had this keen eye for observation. He actually includes this description of the same situation in his Gospel. Luke twenty two fifty one says this. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. See, guys, I just love this. I love this. We talked about this last week, about how the Gospels, are, are, they are all about restoration, not retribution. I mean, Jesus, think about this, guys. Jesus is restoring this man's ear. Talk about loving your enemies. This is the very guy who came to Jesus. I mean, Jesus shows him compassion to the very one who came to him with weapons. Yet what is Jesus' weapon? Compassion, love, mercy. And those who follow him, uh, they're not to be about wielding a sword, but instead about keeping up with the Spirit. See, for the follower of Christ, you need to understand this. The perspective of the Spirit is always greater than the power of the sword. Amen? Amen. But you know something? The reality is, I mean, in in everyday life, the reality is that's way easier said than done, right? 
I mean, it is hard. It is hard not to take matters into your own hands, especially if it seems like God's not moving, especially if you're a very capable person, which many of you in here are. For example, when you're in a relationship and it completely just, it falls apart, you're getting accused. Have you, ever, have you ever had rumors spread about you that were completely untrue? People saying stuff about you behind your back. What do you do? <laughs> well, you got to take this thing out. Right? I mean, because you can't trust your reputation in God's hands. You got to do something about it. Or how about you're at work? You're at work and you know what? You don't get promoted, but the guy next to you does. You got passed over for a promotion. But the thing is, This guy went behind your back. This woman went behind your back, and they stole the credit that was rightfully due you. What do you do when you get passed up for a promotion unjustly? You got to whip this thing out, right? You got to take what's yours. You got to fight for yourself. You got to fend for yourself. I mean, it is just so much easier to come out swinging the sword than it is to patiently wait on God's spirit, isn't it? But I tell you something. I'll tell you something right now. I'll never forget the drive home from that retreat. Because I was grabbing that steering wheel, same strong way again, only this time when I was grabbing it, there was not this surging rage. Instead, I was just so completely broken. I was was a young kid and I did a stupid thing. And I just felt like at that moment, I mean, those were the longest three, four days of my life. And I just remember finally getting in the car and going home. And I just, I just remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, like, God, seriously, is this how it ends? Like, I just, I completely disqualified myself, didn't I? I mean, I just, I, just, I threw it all away. I thought I was called into ministry. And I just, I mean, what, what is happening? I, I mean, who would ever trust a pastor who punches? I'm a pastor who punches. What am I, George Foreman? Gosh. Seriously, though, I mean, I was filled with so much regret. You want to talk about regret? I mean, think about Peter, right? Chopping off ears, denying Christ three times, always so brash and impulsive. Yet what we've been learning over the past couple of weeks is that Peter's life for us is actually a model of how to live life without regret, Because you know something? Peter wasn't the only one who messed up royally at the Olive Garden, was he? No, there was another disciple there at the same time who failed epically as well. In fact, who is actually known as the ultimate betrayer of Christ? It's not Peter, it's who? Judas, exactly, it's Judas. And if you look back with me at our passage, we started this off, actually, with verse 2. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, Judas, not Peter, Judas, came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. See, you have to understand, earlier in the Gospels, Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of denarii, 30 pieces of silver. And right here, this very moment, is where Judas cashes in on those 30 pieces And betrays Jesus with a kiss. So guys, we need to look at these two people. Peter and Judas. Look at these two people. Peter and Judas. 
Both, you understand. You understand this, right? Both betrayed Christ. You understand that, right? Both denied Jesus. Both of these guys lived in regret. You understand this, right? So what is the difference? Answer, Peter was restored. He admitted his failure and received forgiveness in Christ. But do you know what happened to Judas? You know what happened, right? Judas couldn't live with his own sin. He couldn't live with the mistakes that he made in his life. And so scripture actually says that Judas literally went out to a field and he hung himself. He took his own life. And guys, that is exactly where worldly regret ultimately leads you. See, folks, the Bible is crystal clear. It makes a huge difference between worldly regret and Christian repentance. It's crystal clear about that. In fact, I want to share with you one last verse that helped me so much, especially during this time. It comes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says this, Godly sorrow brings what now? Repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no, what? Regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Again, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, guys, if you failed, and let me tell you something. I promise you this. Man, woman, or child in this room, you will fail again. You will fail again. That is a promise. You will fail no matter what it is. You will fail again. You will fail again. But if you fail again, there's going to be a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and life. Or you can choose a worldly sorrow that leads to regret, even death. See, the Greek word used for sorrow is paralupos. It's where we get the word perilous. In other words, it means like this, something causing this overwhelming pain and grief. You know what I'm talking about? It's just just overwhelming, this this pain, this regret, this, this grief. It's like my friend who came to me a couple of weeks ago, and he's just like, oh, you know, Pastor Tom, I've, I've got so much pain and regret with regards to my marriage. Oh, my gosh, this is so much. It's just too much. It's unbearable. He's been living, actually, with his girlfriend now out of the house for over a year. And he comes to me and he says, yeah, I, there's just too much pain. And there's too much regret. So, so you know what, Pastor? I, I've, I've decided. I, I've decided, you know, I've got to take this seriously. I, I, I'm going to fast and pray for three days. And I'm going to ask God, you know, God, uh, show me what it is that I really want. Show me. Pastor Tom, will you pray? Will you join me in prayer? You know what I said to him? No. I said, no, I'm not I'm going to take off my pastor hat right now, and I'm going to talk to you like a friend. No. I'm not going to join you in that stupid prayer. Instead, no. What I will do, though, is I will pray that God shows you (laughs) not what you really want, but I'm going to pray that God shows you what he really wants. And that he gives you the chutzpah. I didn't use the word chutzpah. That he gives you the chutzpah to actually obey him. That's what I'm going to pray. See, you have to understand, my friend was filled with sorrow. No doubt. I'm not denying that he was pained. I'm not denying that at all. 
He is sad. He's, he's pained. He's tremendously pained by the sorrow he's caused his family, by the sorrow he's caused his wife and kids. I get that. But it was the worldly kind of sorrow that leads to regret and it sort of wallows in its own pity. It's the worldly kind of sorrow that, that, that's pained by the consequences. The kind that regrets the way others look at him now. But it was not the kind of godly sorrow that crushes your spirit because you've disobeyed the Father. It's not the godly kind of sorrow that he had that leads to repentance and life. The Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia. Meta is the word change. Noia is knowledge. It's mind. It's where we get this idea that, okay, if I'm going to metanoia, if I'm going to change my mind, if I'm truly going to repent, then I need to look differently. I need to think differently about how I'm living, about how I'm acting right now, and I need to step away from that and walk a different direction. That is true metanoia. That is truly repenting. So you need to ask yourself, does your sorrow lead you towards regret? Does it just leave you towards just feeling bad about your consequences and sorry for yourself and licking your own wounds? Or is your sorrow the godly kind, which no surprise actually leads you back to God? Is your sorrow the godly kind that moves you towards repentance and that is turning away from death onto life? Am I preaching to anybody here? Amen. Amen. Guys, there's a difference. There is a difference between godly sorrow that leads to repentance and life versus a worldly sorrow that leads to just regret, ultimate death. Peter chose one judas the other so when you fail and again i promise you you will fail you and i we will both fail when you fail what will you do will you will you drop the sword just like in the movie when you saw peter do and throw yourself on god's mercy as peter did Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Will you drop the sword and fall on Christ's mercy? Or will you throw yourself on the sword? Will you impale yourself with your own sword, with your own sense of justice, your your own warped sense, like Judas? Will you go on thinking, oh, you know what? God can never forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. Woe is me. This is so horrible. This is so bad. I I need to pay for my own sins. I need to self-inflict this pain on myself. See, the sad thing is, the sad thing is, Judas, he actually could have been forgiven. But instead, he took matters into his own hands. You know, it's so interesting. I showed you some scenes from the, from the movie, The Passion of Christ, and you, you all know who, who made that film, right? Who directed Passion of Christ? Mel Gibson, exactly. Uh, you, you know that he's done that. Uh, many of you know Mel Gibson from, from movies like Braveheart and whatnot, but you probably also know him for some other reasons. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, just yesterday he had this omission that he, oh, I think I have a little bit of a temper, right? You, you, you know that, you know, some of his, his recent episodes include drunk driving, divorcing his wife, this, mistress, this, this mistress that he had, uh, racial slurs, these a- anger, these rants, all this stuff, domestic uh, violence, uh, accusations of, the whole nine, right? A very, very, very public failure. But what's interesting, what's interesting 
is that Robert Downey Jr., who's had some of his own demons as well, he's battled different uh, addictions and whatnot, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was giving an acceptance speech for an acting award that he had just received. And he actually spoke of Mel Gibson and how Mel Gibson actually counseled him uh, to lean into his faith, to, to lean into forgiveness during Downey Jr.'s worst moments of life. More specifically, th- this is amazing, uh, Mel had kept Robert working even at his lowest points of his life when no one else would touch him. When no one else would hire Robert Downey Jr., Mel Gibson, actually, he not only gave him a job and took a risk when no one else would, but he actually provided for Robert Downey Jr. lead roles that were written originally for him, he gave to Robert. And so at this ceremony, you might imagine, this is an award ceremony now for his acting. Robert Downey Jr. shared how Mel would say to him, if I accepted responsibility for my wrongdoings, if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, hugging the cactus, he calls it. I just want to stop there. Such an awesome phrase. Hugging the cactus. I just, just think about that for a second. Do you know what that actually means? I mean, just imagine sort of nestling next to this cactus. Oh, ouch. You know, just, just imagine that, right? I mean, what is that? What is hugging the cactus? It's self-inflicted penance. It's a worldly sorrow. It's this thinking, oh, I've wronged the world. I've done so much bad, so much evil. I've messed up so many mistakes. Oh, just come here, cactus. I just want to... Ah. That's what it is. I love it. It's just a creative image there, right? Uh, He went on to continue. All he asked in return is that someday I help the next guy in some small way. And it is reasonable to assume that at the time, he didn't imagine the next guy would be him. So on this occasion, he's saying here, on this occasion, I humbly ask that you join me in forgiving my friend his trespasses. Offering him the same clean slate you have offered me. He's hugged the cactus long enough. And the crowd erupted with applause. Folks, Christians, believers, disciples, church-going folks on a Sunday morning sitting here at church. I wonder, is it possible that we today have something to learn from Hollywood's elite I, I, I wonder, I wonder if there's a lesson to learn here that worldly sorrow can only take you so far. And at the end of the day, Judas hugged the cactus and he never let go. Meanwhile, Peter, who also undoubtedly, he hugged the cactus as well. But you know something? He stopped. He stopped when he heard Jesus say, put your sword. Repent. Receive my forgiveness. Put down that sword. You've hugged the cactus long enough. You know, I think that's what Jesus is saying to many of you today. Some of you are living with regret for past choices you've made, and it haunts you like a ghost. It has 
It has determined your thoughts, your way of life, your lifestyle. You know, my sister, my sister lived with regret for some time after that moment. And, and so did that kid, actually. We, we've talked since then. I've apologized and all that. And, and yeah, I've got to be honest. I've lived with regret for punching that kid in the face as well. I, totally, absolutely. But you know something? You know something? I can only tell you that story about how I took matters into my own hands. I can only tell you that story now, this side of having been forgiven and restored in Jesus Christ. And honestly, honestly, this is the first time I've ever actually even told that story publicly. Because it's one of my biggest failures in ministry. And for the longest time, for the longest time, I always thought like, oh man, like, God, you know, how, how could I ever stand in front of people and, and, and actually preach to them if they ever knew that I punched someone in the face? Some of you, of course, are going to listen to me more now because I punched someone in the face, but that's a different issue. But, but guys, what's your regret? I mean, is it a relationship? Is, is there something going on? Maybe something that was said at work? Something that you're harboring towards someone else secretly and it's just causing like this cancer inside of you? Something you've been living with and carrying for some time now? Whatever it is, whatever your source of regret is, Christ looks at that very thing and he says, you know what? I died for that. I endured the justice. I took the wrath of God. So that you would never have to again put down that sword. You've hugged the cactus long enough. Guys, this is what Jesus offers every single one of us today. So the only question is this. Will you receive it like Peter or like Judas? Will you move out of regret and towards repentance? Let me tell you something. Many of you here today have hugged the cactus long enough. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I come to you right now, Lord. I love you and I love every person in this room, God. Uh, there, there's none righteous here in and of ourselves, God. Our righteousness comes from you. It comes from your Son. Lord, we, we got a bunch of failures in here. Myself, chief among them all, Lord. A bunch of failures. But through Christ, you help us fail forward. And so now, as, as we are about to receive communion, I pray, Father God, that you would fill us up, that you would restore us. Because we need more of Christ in ourselves and less of ourselves in our lives, Lord. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.